0: Chapter Twenty-five of The Dog Crusoe and His Master. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Allison Hester of Athens, Georgia. The Dog Crusoe and His Master by R. M. Valentine. Chapter Twenty-five. Dangers of the Prairie our travelers attacked by Indians and delivered in a remarkable manner. There are periods in the life of almost all men when misfortunes seem to crowd upon them in rapid succession, when they escape from one danger only to encounter another, and when, to use a well-known expression, they succeed in leaping out of the frying pan at the expense of plunging into the fire so was it with our three friends upon this occasion. They were scarcely rid of the Blackfeet, who found them too watchful to be caught napping, when, about daybreak one morning, they encountered a roving band of Comanche Indians, who wore such a warlike aspect that Joe deemed it prudent to avoid them if possible. "'They don't see us yet, I guess.' said Joe, as he and his companions drove the horses into a hollow between the grassy waves of the prairie, and if we can
1: only escape their sharp eyes, till we and yonder clump of willows, we be safe enough.
0: But why don't you ride up to them, Joe, inquired Dick, and make peace with them the pale faces, as you had
1: done with other bands? Because. "'It's a no use to risk our scalps for the chance of making peace with a roving war-party. "'Keep your head down, Henry. "'If they get only a sight of the top of your cap, "'they'll be down on us like a breeze o' wind.'" "'Ha! Let them come,' said Henry. "'They'll come without
0: asking your leave,' remarked Joe dryly. "'Notwithstanding his defiant expression,' henry had sufficient prudence to induce him to bend his head and shoulders and in a few minutes they reached the shelter of the willows unseen by the savages at least so thought henry joe was not quite sure about it and dick hoped for the best in the course of half an hour the last of the comanches was seen to hover for a second on the horizon like a speck of black against the sky and then to disappear Immediately, the three hunters bolted on their steeds and resumed their journey, but before that evening closed, they had sad evidence of the savage nature of the band from which they had escaped. On passing the brow of a slight eminence, Dick, who rode first, observed that Crusoe stopped and snuffed the breeze in an anxious, inquiring manner. "'What is it, pup?' said dick drawing up for he knew that his faithful dog never gave a false alarm crusoe replied by a short uncertain bark and then bounding forward disappeared behind a little wooded knoll in another moment a long dismal howl floated over the plains There was a mystery about the dog's conduct, which, coupled with his melancholy cry, struck the travelers with a superstitious feeling of dread as they sat looking at each other in surprise. Come on, let's clear it up, cried Joe Blunt, shaking the reins of his steed and galloping forward. A few strides brought them to the other side of the knoll, where, scattered upon the torn and bloody turf, "'They discovered the scalped and mangled remains "'of about twenty or thirty human beings. "'Their skulls had been cleft by the tomahawk "'and their breasts pierced by the scalping knife, "'and from the position in which many of them lay, "'it was evident that they had been slain while asleep.' Joe's brow flushed, and his lips became tightly compressed "'as he muttered between his set teeth, "'Their skins are white!' a short examination sufficed to show that the men who had thus been barbarously murdered while they had slept had been a band of trappers or hunters but what their errand had been or whence they came they could not discover everything of value had been carried off and all the scalps had been taken most of the bodies although much mutilated lay in a posture that led our hunters to believe they had been killed while asleep but one or two were cut almost to pieces from the blood bespattered and trampled sword around it seemed as if they had struggled long and fiercely for life whether or not any of the savages had been slain it was impossible to tell for if such had been the case their comrades doubtless had carried away their bodies that they had been slaughtered by the party of comanches who had been seen at daybreak was quite clear to joe but his burning desire to revenge the death of the white men had to be stifled as his party was so small long afterwards it was discovered that this was a band of trappers who like those mentioned at the beginning of this volume had set out to avenge the death of a comrade but god who has retained the right of vengeance in his own hand saw fit to frustrate their purpose by giving them into the hands of the savages whom they had set forth to slay as it was impossible to bury so many bodies the travellers resumed their journey and left them to bleach there in the wilderness but they rode the whole of that day almost without uttering a word meanwhile the comanches who had observed the trio had ridden away at first for the purpose of deceiving them into the belief that they had passed unobserved doubled on their track, and took a long sweep in order to keep out of sight until they could approach under the shelter of a belt of woodland towards which the travelers now approached. The Indians adopted this course instead of the easier method of simply pursuing so weak a party because the plains at this part were bordered by a long stretch of forest into which the hunters could have plunged and rendered pursuit more difficult, if not almost useless." the detour thus taken was so extensive and the shades of evening were beginning to descend before they could put their plan into execution the forest lay about a mile to the right of our hunters like some dark mainland of which the prairie was the sea and the scattered clumps of wood the islands there's no lack of game here said dick varley pointing to a herd of buffaloes which rose at their approach
1: and fled away towards the woods I never feel it unnatural hot like this without looking out for a plump.
0: Ha! Din we better look out for one good tree to git blow? Suggested Henry. Voila! He added, pointing with his finger towards the plain. There am a lot of wild horses. A troop of about thirty wild horses appeared as he spoke on the brow of a ridge and advanced slowly toward them. Hist! exclaimed joe reining up
1: hold on lads wild horses my rifle the pop gun there's wilder men on the other side of em
0: what do you mean joe inquired dick riding close up
1: D'ye you see the little lumps on the shoulder of each horse said joe them's injuns' feet and if we don't want to lose our scalps we would better make for the forest
0: Joe proved himself to be in earnest by wheeling round and making straight for the thick woods as fast as his horse could run. The others followed, driving the pack horses before them. The effect of this sudden movement on the so-called wild horses was very remarkable, and to one unacquainted with the habits of the Comanche Indians must have appeared almost supernatural. In the twinkling of an eye, every steed had a rider on its back and before the hunters had taken five strides in the direction of the forest the whole band were in hot pursuit yelling like furies the manner in which these indians accomplish this feat is very singular and implies great activity and strength of muscle on the part of the savages the comanches are low in stature and usually are rather corpulent in their movements on foot they are heavy and ungraceful and they are on the whole a slovenly and unattractive race of men but the instant they mount their horses they seem to be entirely changed and surprise the spectator with the ease and elegance of their movements Their great and distinctive peculiarity as horsemen is the power they have acquired of throwing themselves suddenly on either side of their horse's body and clinging on in such a way that no part of them is visible from the other side save the foot by which they cling. In this manner they approach their enemies at full gallop and without rising again to the saddle discharge their arrows at them over their horse's backs or even under their necks this apparently magical feat is accomplished by means of a halter or horse-chair which is passed round under the neck of the horse and both ends braided into the mane on the withers thus forming a loop which hangs under the neck and against the breast this being caught by the hand makes a sling into which the elbow falls taking the weight of the body on the middle of the upper arm Into this loop, the rider drops suddenly and fearlessly, leaving his heel to hang over the horse's back, to steady him, and also to restore him to his seat when desired. By this stratagem, the Indians had approached on the present occasion, almost within rifle range, before they were discovered, and it required the utmost speed of the hunter's horses to enable them to avoid being overtaken. One of the Indians, who was better mounted than his fellows, gained on the fugitives so much that he came within arrow range, but reserved his shaft until they were close on the margin of the wood, when, being almost alongside of Henry, he fitted an arrow to his bow. Henry's eye was upon him, however, letting go the line of the pack horse which he was leading, and he threw forward his rifle but at the same moment the savage disappeared behind his horse and an arrow whizzed past the hunter's ear henry fired at the horse which dropped instantly hurling the astonished comanche upon the ground where he lay for some time insensible in a few seconds pursued and pursuers entered the wood where both had to advance with caution in order to avoid being swept off by overhanging branches of the trees meanwhile the sultry heat of which Joe had formerly spoken increased considerably, and a rumbling noise, as if of distant thunder, was heard. But the flying hunters paid no attention to it, for the lead horses gave them so much trouble and retarded their flight so much that the Indians were gradually and visibly gaining on them.
1: We'll have to let the
0: packs go, said Joe somewhat bitterly as he looked over his shoulder. Our
1: scalps will pay for it if we don't
0: henry uttered a peculiar and significant hiss between his teeth as he said p'raps we've had to stop and fight dick said nothing being resolved to do exactly what joe blunt bid him and crusoe for reasons best known to himself also said nothing but bounded along beside his master's horse casting an occasional glance upwards to catch any signal that might be given They had passed over a considerable space of ground and were forcing their way, at the imminent hazard of their necks, through a densely clothed part of wood, when the sound above referred to increased, attracting the attention of both parties. In a few seconds, the air was filled with a steady and continuous rumbling sound, like the noise of a distant cataract. Pursuers and fugitives drew rein instinctively and came to a dead stand while the rumbling increased to a roar and evidently approached them rapidly, though, as yet, nothing to cause it could be seen, except that there was a dense, dark cloud overspreading the sky to the southward. The air was oppressively still and hot. "'What can't be?' inquired Dick, looking at Joe, who was gazing with an expression of wonder, not unmixed with concern, at the southern sky.
1: Dunno, boy, I've been more in de woods than in the clearing in my day, but I never heerd the likes of that.
0: It's um like tundrae, said Henry. Mice, it never do stop this was true the sound was similar to continuous uninterrupted thunder on it came with a magnificent roar that shook the very earth and revealed itself at last in the shape of a mighty whirlwind in a moment the distant woods bent before it and fell like grass before the sky it was a whirling hurricane accompanied by a deluge of rain such as none of the party had ever before witnessed steadily fiercely irresistibly it bore down upon them while the crash of falling snapping and uprooting trees mingled with the dire artillery of that sweeping storm like the musketry on a battlefield follow me lads shouted joe turning his horse and dashing at full speed towards a rocky eminence that offered shelter but shelter was not needed the storm was clearly defined its limits were as distinctly marked by its creator as if it had been a living intelligence sent forth to put a belt of desolation round the world and although the edge of devastation was not five hundred yards from the rock behind which the hunters were stationed only a few drops of ice-cold rain fell upon them it passed directly between the comanche indians and their intended victims placing between them a barrier which it would have taken days to cut through the storm blew for an hour then it travelled onward in its might and was lost in distance whence it came and whither it went none could tell but far as the eye could see on either hand an avenue a quarter of a mile wide was cut through the forest it had leveled everything with dust and the very grass was beaten flat the trees were torn, shivered, snapped across, and crushed, and the earth itself in many places was plowed up and furrowed with deep scars. The chaos was indescribable, and it is probable that centuries will not quite obliterate the work of that single hour. While it lasted, Joe and his comrades remained speechless and awe-stricken. When it passed, no Indians were to be seen, so our hunters remounted their steeds and with feelings of gratitude to God for having delivered them alike from savage foes and from the destructive power of the whirlwind, resumed their journey toward the Mustang Valley. End of chapter
1: 25